this retro thing for what it is Nostalgia goggles heavy on those things when we were kids I've got the memories of falling while my hair is turning gray I'm digging back on all the things that were better yesterday So for all those things nostalgic I also do is delight Hello and welcome to episode something, 189. Oh, this might even be 190. I think it's 189. It's a very high number. And I feel like there should be no expectation <laughs> that I will be keeping count. Uh, I am very pleased to welcome back today for, I think, your third appearance. Yeah, third? I think it's third. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you for, for knocking out the hat trick of podcast appearances. Absolutely. Oh, Hightower is here. I am glad to be here. Thank you for having me back on a third time. That that doesn't oh. always happen. Sometimes I piss people off the first time. So, no, I think once you get past three, you get the jacket. Ooh, so okay. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for that. It's awesome. a spring. It's a spring jacket that I just use crayon and write our podcast name <laughs> on it. But so maybe like don't wear it in the rain. But it's on par with the rest of my wardrobe, so that should fit in perfectly. <laughs> actually, it's all about the gesture. So. <laughs> It's always like, to me, it seems so shitty when someone messages me to say, oh, I expected a higher quality. It's like, what? Dude, it's not about the present. It's about the thought. And you know what? I use my own crayons. Yeah. Well, my children's at least. (laughs) They sat and cried a little because they wanted to draw a duck. But, you know, got to have a real world. Got to show them who the parent is. (laughs) Laurel's here because... On March 29th, Laurel, you have a new book coming out, and there's two things you need to know about this book. Well, there's more than two, but let me kick off with two important things, is that it's called Below, and it comes out March 29th, and two, it kicks fucking ass, so... Thank you. Thank you. you I'm very glad to hear that. And I've just verified to make sure uh, our Canadian listeners, you can go pre-order it in paperback and ebook right now, both versions. Yay. And you should. And we're going to get into why. Uh, I will make, I will let you do the pitch because again, I, I'm, and especially with this book, I, I want to tread lightly because I was Same. all caps messaging you a lot <laughs> about things that were happening that I wouldn't want people to know because there was one in particular where I had to stop after it happened, I think to do work, something, some adult nonsense. And it was not okay that I had to do that. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's it's my it's my take on Mothman, um, and it's just a, about a woman who is uh, making a very anxious and terrifying drive, and almost has a car accident and stops to kind of recover, and gets some help from from a, a trucker who is going to help guide her through the mountains while it's snowing. And then something happens to him and she has to decide whether she's going to book it or see what she can do to help. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if I'd want to say much more than that. It is yeah, a very, I can say twisty, a very twisty tale. Ooh, I like that. Twisty. Yeah. That's uh it's going to go in some directions. I know, like I said, there was a couple points where I was like, how, 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 how do I sleep? 
now. And that's for not just because I needed to know what happens next, but because this book creepy. This is there is hey. some, there is some imagery in this. So I was like, well, that is not the thing to read as you're about to turn <laughs> off the bedside light and attempt sleep. Maybe just bury face in pillow and not look at dark corners <laughs> of the room. Because there's a lot of things described in the book that's like, yeah, what if I look up and that's there? What if I brought them into being? What if they hang out in my room now or my office? Now, what if you did do that? I mean, it'd be powerful. And I would try to write things about houses made out of chocolate and bourbon. Yeah, exactly. Once you discover those powers, it's like, oh, weird. The next book is just about lots of stacks of money. (laughs) What what do they do? Nothing. They're just there. (laughs) They accumulate. They earn an 8% interest rate. (laughs) The whole book. (laughs) And then sometimes a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool happens. So yeah. Yeah. Like Lotto's new book is really weird. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah i was testing something <laughs> didn't work so next time so me personally i was very excited because i've enjoyed the mothman myth for a very long time um basically tracing back to the movie we're also going to to, to discuss today uh i saw that immediately went out got the book read about that so i'm just curious like for you has there always been kind of like an interest in the, in the Mothman myth that you were like, finally, you're like, you know what, I'm going to put my take on that or what, what's, what's the history there? Well, I think like you, I think my first exposure to it was the Mothman prophecies movie. I think came out in like 2002. Um, and you know, you get the impression, I guess, from some of the stuff that they describe in the movie that it's this, this, uh, worldwide phenomena. And I, and I guess maybe it is, um, but it, it was interesting to me and and especially because uh, there was such an ambiguity to it. It wasn't like, you know, you get to the end and there's Sasquatch and, you know, they fight Sasquatch and then, you know, whatever happens there. It's still ambiguous. Um, and uh, and then I didn't actually read Keel's book until last year. Um, I picked it up after watching Hellier. Um just because I was like, well, you know what, there's more, there's more to this and sort of interested to know where all this stuff originated and reading it, realizing there's, while I think actually they did a fantastic job in the movie, especially of, of putting together what they, um, you know, uh, well, does that spoil the, do we still like this? (laughs) No, you know what? We've gotten pretty lenient lately on revealing our thoughts before the end. And okay. even if we don't, it's usually pretty easy to piece together where we're falling. So it's now it's fine. Okay. All right. Just making sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like they did because you have to translate it to a certain extent to the storytelling to keep it interesting. Um, but, but it was so, it was so ambiguous. It was so vague and, and, you know, and looking at all the things that happened and what, what his ultimate sort of feeling about it was um, it was just such an interesting. And so after reading it, I kind of, and I guess part of this originated a little bit too, because so I live in Kentucky and we have a lot of coal mines, you know, obviously not in my city, but all over, like mostly Eastern Kentucky, there's coal mines. And um, my job, I run into cases sometimes that deal with some of that stuff. And it's just been very like intriguing. And, um, you know, there's just this whole like underground system um, that's also hooked to our economy. And, and it's such an interesting, so that was one of the things I kind of wanted to write about too, um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted to put my own spin on Mothman, but I didn't want to just regurgitate 
you know, the, the story as it was, or just write, you know, one of those instances or something. So I kind of had it simmering on the back burner. And, and then, yeah, then I had that incredibly terrifying drive to scare the care. <laughs> and, and, um, sort of kind of clicking the pieces together on that of, of the, of the direction I wanted to take it. Yeah. You mentioned the, the ambiguity and it's something both I appreciated about the movie we're going to discuss, but also about below in that the pieces are there, but there's not going to be a moment. And I'm saying all of this complimentary. There's not a moment where someone's going to sit you down and go, let me tell you this beat for beat exactly what's going on which makes it so much better. Like we're on the other podcast flipping through franchises where it's not out yet, but AK and I are going through the paranormal activity movies. And we're talking about how as it progresses, there's this inclination to, okay, well now we need to explain this a little bit more and this a little bit more and this a little bit more. And by the end, it's like, okay, it's just, now it's just not scary anymore because you've told us everything there is to know. There's no mystery left. Whereas this, as everything continues to stack, like things just get more intense. And like I said, wanting to get back to know what's going to happen without having to say, okay, look, here's, let me just spell (laughs) it out for you. And it just, it makes it work that much more. That is awesome to hear. That's awesome to hear. Thank you. Especially because I, I I think I've mentioned a couple of times before on podcasts that I have always been an incredibly literally minded person. And like, like, I think like kids are super literal. And I think I didn't outgrow that for a really long time. So when I first was writing horror, it's like, you know, A equals B leads to C leads to D and here's the explanation and this sort of thing. And um, starting out with reading like Paul Tremblay um, and then really starting to get into some short stories, which I think really convey the whole ambiguity thing a lot, just very effectively, because you're really just seeing a snippet you know, you're, you're seeing a zoomed in portion of a story. And I was very interested because that used to drive me nuts when I was a kid. I was like, I don't understand. Someone needs to explain to me exactly what happened. <laughs> and, you know, seeing the power in how that suggestion remains with a person. Whereas if you, you know, if yes, you're, I mean, you're right. Like sometimes the reveal of the monster or the whatever is like the worst part of the movie or the book, because you're like, oh, well, now it's, you know, now I know what it is. And even though it's, you could, you could have just described the most horrible thing in the world and some books just call it, it was the most horrible sight in the world. And that's <laughs> yep. a little bit lazy. Just take my word for it, guys. But um, I love no yeah. sleep, but there are a lot of no sleep tales that definitely have, you know, I looked outside and I saw the scariest thing I've ever seen. End of thoughts. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take my word for it. Okay. <laughs> Well, and you have to go in and like fish that stuff out of your writing, you know, like, because you're, you're, I don't know, you don't notice that you're doing it. You, and you, you know, the old adage of show don't tell, but you don't realize until you go back to start editing, you're like, oh, apparently I didn't know that adage or it went straight out of my head. And yeah, so it's, I mean, it, it takes, it will never completely go away. I don't think. (laughs) Did you have to do quite a bit of finessing here to kind of find that that balance? Because it does strike a really because it is it's a tough line to walk where you don't want to, you know, like we were saying, dump exposition and just reveal everything there is to reveal. But also going the other way with it, where something can be too ambiguous, where the pieces aren't really there to connect it. It's just kind of like, you know what, you know, you figure it out. 
Yeah. And I felt below found that really perfect middle ground of no, the it's it's there, but also, you know, we don't have, you know, hey, this person's an expert in Mothman and he knows yeah. exactly what's going on. <laughs> you found a very him. convenient Mothman experts. <laughs> Here's David. He he's been studying Mothman for 50 years. It's like, oh, this is a classic Mothman situation. <laughs> I'm gonna give you some great backstory. Filling some time. She typed Mothman into Google and clicked the first result and got everything <laughs> she needed to know about her current predicament. Um, this one, I like. It it's just weird because it was kind of similar to Crossroads in that um, it it poured onto the page pretty pretty close to I mean it's not that I didn't do revisions and um you know it was really going off the rails at one point and your friend and mine Lillian uh was reading it for me and she was like yeah no this just gets weird here so I, I had to scale back some things you know and um and kind of pull it back in a little bit but other than that and and some some minor stuff um I didn't have to do much to it and I was really excited about that because it was, um, and yeah, like I, I don't want to end up revealing too much about it, but there are some elements of it that are woven in that, um, like I originally just was going to write a creature feature, um, but there's just certain elements of my writing and my personality that, that tend to find their way in. And when I got to the end of it and realized I'd done that, I was like, hmm, you know, is this going to work or is it, are people going to be disappointed with how, you know what this turns into because it's not it's not just a straight creature feature um and that was part of why actually so when i sent it to max booth uh he was somebody that i was interested in looking at it because i also knew like that he that if it didn't work he would tell me like i had no concerns that he would be like well you know i it's okay so we'll you know we'll throw it up there like he would have said, no, this, this element is not working at false flat. Um, so it was nice to, you know, to kind of trust that, that, that was okay. Although, I mean, seriously, I, when, when he started sending out the arcs, I was so apprehensive because <laughs> I just, you know, I just kept waiting for the, oh, this, you know, this, this goes in a stupid direction. But, you know, when you were talking about like um, how nobody comes out and explains it, you know, and it's just like pieces put together, that was kind of part of I didn't think about it in those terms, but I was thinking part of this stems a little bit from a trope that I despise, which is, um, you know, you have something supernatural going on and somebody who's like your spouse or your longtime friend or your child or your parent is like, holy shit, I just saw a ghost in this obviously haunted house we just moved into, you know, and inherited for unknown reasons. And it's like, listen, you're crazy. You're clearly crazy. You know, and it's like, that's just not, you know, unless you live with nothing but narcissistic gaslighters, that's probably not what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, what we've got is this woman's view, like, and I didn't want her, you know, I wanted it just to be like, this is how I'm seeing things. This is what's coming up in front of me. And it's that narrow interpretation because she's just one person, you know, and, yeah. and so she's not going to bounce it off of. Which is a big appeal, I think, of it is we talked a bit earlier about it's a small look at what is clearly a much bigger thing that is happening, but we never leave this one perspective. And it kind of reminded me of all the comparisons to make. 
the Steven Spielberg version of War of the Worlds just leapt to mind. And that's a big reason that it's this, you know, a smaller, like, we're going to follow this person. There's an insane thing happening around, but you only get to see it from this perspective. And it just, I think it works incredibly well here. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I appreciate it. And I um, love horror and tales that take place over the course of one night. Yeah. I love that stuff. So <laughs> it was... <laughs> Novellas are so great for that simplicity. It, it is, it is a, a relentlessly paced story. There, it's just pretty much from moment one is the two main characters meeting. And you're like, okay, this seems like a good, I don't know. It seems like a good dude, but I don't know. And then basically from there is just nonstop right to the finish. So awesome. I'm using all of this as a blurb. I'm just going to like, cut the clip and when people ask me i'm just gonna start playing it i remember i think i messaged you one blur but it was just basically <laughs> all caps again i don't know if, what the policy is on all caps screamy blurbs on books if that helps or hinders but well no there was a a blurb on a book someone <laughs> took a picture of yesterday that was just basically slagging off stephen king in the blurb and i was like well, that's a choice. So uh, if you mm. can do that, I don't see why you can't do all caps, you know? And if not, we can trailblaze it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, infinitely preferable to trying to call out like the king of horror fiction. I've, yeah. Yeah. That is a kind of an interesting approach to take, but I'm not going to do that. I appreciate I'm just, it. <laughs> I'm just going to say like, yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to say again too much more because I feel like pretty much from page 10, you don't want to know anything that's going to happen after that. Um, I've, I've kind of hit the, the, the major things that I would want people to know is that it's, it's, it's kind of a perfect like one sit read in that you're always going to want to know what's going to happen next, but also in that there's not really that good point where you're like, well, I'm going to sit that down and take a break. Like, no, there's a propulsion that never really has that clear, like, oh, this is a, this is a good pause point. It's like, nope, there's no good pause point. You just go. <laughs> I feel like I should have an intermission in the next one. It's like, if you'd like to go get a snack. <laughs> no. You tell everyone around, there's no more commitments. Your kid's there like, I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. You'd be like, shh, 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 shh. just keep playing. Other kids don't get to do this. You should be thankful. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to make sure that we touch on, but I. I don't think so. I think like you would, I just, I think it's cool if people can go into it without really quite knowing what to expect. And, um, you know, part of that, I'm, I actually think it's so cool. I didn't realize that Nicole Cushing had a book coming out uh, in August, I think that's called Moth Woman. Um, and somebody had sent me a link to like a graphic novel that's coming out about Mothman. And it's just, to me, it's so exciting, like, because it's, it is, it's such a cool, um, such a cool cryptid. It's such a cool legend and, and sort of, uh, you know, theory, conspiracy theory, I guess. I don't, I don't know how you want to, uh, tag it, but it, I just think there's so many different ways to look at it. So many takes that there can be on it. And I, you know, I'm, I'm all about some more Mothman. Me too. Yeah. I feel like we have not gotten any. A adequate amount of it. And this movie is 20 years old now. 
I know. Which and is in those crazy. two decades, we haven't been we haven't been fed enough Mothman material. So I I'm agree. happy. I'm happy to see more of it. And yes, exactly. Like you said, there's so many different things you can do with that foundation that. Yes, absolutely. More Mothman. Always a good thing. People seem very excited that there's, you know, this Mothman story on the way and you should be. So what you do right now is you pause us just for a second and you go to the show notes and there'll be links and you click those links and then you click add to cart. And then if your credit card is on file, you hit purchase. If it's not, go get it. (laughs) And you enter it. If you don't feel comfortable, you can delete it after. Or go to the store and you buy you buy some Amazon gift cards for non-sketchy reasons for once. And you just enter them and you purchase it. I appreciate that you took them through every single step of this. There's no ambiguity in this process. Because I don't want to hear excuses, Laura. <laughs> I don't want them to get in there and go like, I was interested, but I didn't know what to do next. Now there's no excuse. <laughs> And then carve out some time because, like I said, you're going to want to one-shot this one. So you just carve out a window of time. You send the kids to grandma's, whatever you need to do. Put them down in front of the TV and enjoy just some damn fine Mothman storytelling. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now let's move to some more Mothman storytelling that made me feel real old to discover (laughs) came out. In 2002, because when we sat to watch it, my wife was like, when was this? I was like, oh, five, oh, six, somewhere around there. And then I looked it up and went, oh, God. <laughs> it's the 20th anniversary of the Mothman Prophecies movie. And the reason I thought it was newer is because I was like, well, I was pretty sure I was in like graduating year of high school. So and then I had to do real quick math and go, oh, no. <laughs> That's still true even in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have a history with this one? I saw it like I, I kind of said at the top, I saw it in theaters and liked it enough that afterwards I went and got the book that same day. I cannot remember the first time I saw this. I don't think I saw it in theaters. Um, at the time, I think I was 20 and super broke. So it seems unlikely that I would have ended up in a theater. So I think I rented it, but I know I actually, I, I know I owned it on VHS. Um, yeah, me too. I think I actually still own it on VHS, which does me no good because I don't have a VCR. What? But yeah, I got one right there. I'm also thinking the water damage, like everything that spent any amount of time in the basement, probably means it's non-functional or at least smells very unpleasant. But um, yeah, no, I I watched it a number of times, but it has been a really long time since I did. Yeah, I think my last viewing before this one was probably. Actually, yeah, probably about 05, 06, because I had the VHS, but I never upgraded it from there. So, of course, being a sane individual, (laughs) I went on eBay and typed in Blu-ray and went, oh, they never released it in North America, but Australia did. So I bought that. (laughs) North America? What is up? Why? What is up, North America? We've released everything else. How are you going to not release Mothman? Like, when a date with Tad Hamilton's coming out in a couple weeks, we can't get Mothman <laughs> prophecies? We're, we're not allowed. Remember? Oh. They don't want us to. We're get, we, are you saying that we're going di- to dig too deep? So they're distracting us with when a date with Tad Hamilton so we don't Probably. get more into the Mothman? Probably. Yeah. 
yeah. it worked. I pre-ordered Win a Date with Fat <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> so I don't remember this being cute. $13, <laughs> whatever. So look out for our Win a Date with Tad Hamilton episode <laughs> sometime later this year. Um, I don't even know how to summarize Mothman prophecies, really. There's a lot going on in this movie. There is, yeah. I was a little bit surprised to see that it was like right at two hours long. Because especially at that time, I was thinking movies were mostly like the 90-minute range. But This is adult horror, I guess. Yeah. What if that was, I didn't look into it, but I wonder what, what the landscape of horror was like in 2002. Because we were kind of past that teen slasher resurgence that Scream brought us. So we were a few years out of that. So I wonder if this is kind of when horror needed that next renaissance. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like Richard Gere was pretty peak Richard Gere in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Same for Laura Lenny. Yeah. Like, I I think at some points there's, you know, this kind of association like, oh, really? They're lowering themselves to this? But no, I feel like definitely they looked at this project and went, this is worthy of us. So, yeah. And I think that was a good call. Yeah. And they, they aren't approaching it as, you know, oh, it's a horror movie. I don't need to bring my A game. Like, no, Richard Gere is bringing, bringing his A game thoroughly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely was. And, you know, there's a tent, there's, it's like if you've read, I imagine if you've read the book first and then you go to watch the movie, you might be like, well, what, what's the necessity of adding this, you know, love story? or this loss in there, like, is it, is it just shoehorning in for human interest? But I thought it wove in so well yeah. to everybody's motivations and, and, you know, the way, it, yeah, just kind of the way it played out. I, I think the biggest thing that I can say about it is that I was pleasantly surprised that in my opinion, it was not really Hollywooded at all. Um, no, it really wasn't like, and they taught, I watched the bonus features over the last few days and they talk a little bit about how, people went to this expecting partly because of the marketing this, you know, Oh, it's the Mothman. It's a creature movie. And it's really like kind of a, a horror drama dealing with grief and loss. And it's not an uplifting movie. It's very like, there's very little humor. It is a very dark emotional study of, Richard Gere and what he's going through after his wife is killed in a, well, actually, no, she's not killed in the car accident. They're in a car accident, which leads them to discovering a tumor. Yeah. I remember right. And then that's actually what. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because there's sort of this idea, I think in, in John Klein's mind that um, he's not sure whether the Mothman or something like that caused the tumor. Like, you know, obviously she sees something, which is what causes the car accident. Although I have to say, again, I'm older now. I live in a neighborhood and I'm like, you are speeding to a ludicrous and unsafe degree in a place with houses, meaning that anyone could hop out in front of you. So I don't really feel sorry for you. In the dead of winter, too, if I remember right. Isn't there snow on the ground? Yeah. Yeah. There's snow on the ground. Oh, because it's Christmas time. Of course. Yeah. No, wait, no. It's Christmas time in the flash forward. But I think it's Christmas time in the beginning, too. It is, yeah, because it was like two years to the day, is yeah. what he says. Yeah. 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 That, you're right. She did deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Will and Grace absolutely had it coming. 
Well, I mean, yeah, no, I would, I would have been the person out on the pavement going, slow down. <laughs> there are kids playing here. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, so unfortunately his wife passes, and then two years go by, and he is going to, uh, he's, he's, is he at the Washington Post? Is that the yes, news yeah. outlet he works for? And so he's going to meet the governor, and there's a weird, like, time loss slash teleportation, yeah. where he ends up, like, he has no idea how he got there, and he ends up in this kind of sleepy small town, and it opens with an amazing, it's got a great hook to the whole thing, where he his car dies he goes to a house to ask for help and the person who answers the door who he's never seen before holds him at gunpoint and insists you have been here for the last three nights at the exact same time to do the exact same thing and that is a very good setup for the mystery that's about to (laughs) unfold yeah yeah, because there's there's no way you're not going to want to know how this plays out because we've been following him and we know he hasn't been there but I will, I mean, one of the things that I noted is that, like, there's a lot of knocking on people's doors in the middle of the night and a guy answering it with a gun and yanking him inside to yell at him is probably along the lines of what I would do. Yeah. I mean, by night three, like first, second. Yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to probably call the cops. I ignore it when people knock on my door at like 3 p.m. So there's no yeah. way I'm answering in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. If I work typically upstairs during the day and if I hear the doorbell, I'm not going to go down. No. Because you're either dropping off a package and letting me know or it's something else I have no interest in hearing about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, if you're in trouble, there is a house. We're adjoined. It's fine. They work but from home, some, too. Try some screaming because, you know, then I might then I might feel like I at least need to peek out the window and see what's going on. Yeah, at least take a glance or, you know, turn the headphones up. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us are working. <laughs> take your dying elsewhere. <laughs> the odds of a slasher movie playing out at three in the afternoon are minimal. I'll roll that dice. <laughs> Although, that might be an interesting horror movie right there. Mid-afternoon daylight slasher movie. Yeah, because then you're never safe. Exactly. Uh, Okay, so the first hour of this movie is really, really exceptionally well done. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that might be the part that loses people because it really takes the approach of, well, I was going to say of showing, not telling. But actually, a lot of it works because of the stories that people are telling. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's such it's really good atmosphere building and a lot of the scares just come from having characters describe really unsettling situations that you don't it doesn't then cut away to show here's the dramatization of the event that the will Patton character he tells this story about how he wakes up with a headache goes to the bathroom and then a voice starts coming out of the sink drain and repeating the same sentence over and over and over for an hour. And it's really unsettling to hear, but I think if you were to then cut and show him listening to a voice coming out of his sink drain. Yeah, like Unsolved Mysteries or something. Yeah, exactly. It would lose that, but just hearing him tell the story is like, oh God, I don't like, I do not like this at all. (laughs) I I think that's a really good point because I think one of the strengths of this is that 
what we're mostly seeing is while, while the while the Mothman critter, you know, and the whole legend behind it is obviously central to the theme. What we're mostly seeing is how it affects people that interact with it. You know, so it's the the older woman who saw it outside her window and was standing, you know, and, and I love just the little notes of like, well, his head was just beneath that tree branch, which makes him about eight feet tall. You know, so you've got these like very, like, clearly this woman was thinking, you know, she's not. And, and again, being from Kentucky, I have to say, I, I kind of like the whole, like, yeah, we're in West Virginia. We sound a little bit country, but we're not morons, you know, golly, we had shoes and everything. <laughs> yeah. Laura Lenny's introduction. What does he ask her? Like she's, he insinuates he doesn't live in a house or something. I forget what he. Yeah. He, she said, I grew up just over that hill. And oh, he and says, he says on, on a farm. farm. Yeah. yeah. She's like, yeah. no, in a, in a real actual house. And he had <laughs> shoes and water. Yeah. She was, I, I really liked her character as well because she is the sheriff dealing with all of this, but at no point did they go down the route of, oh, it's some sort of mass psychosis or something like this. Yes. They accept at face value that these are people I have known my entire life. They wouldn't just, it goes against the trope that you were saying you hate, which I also hate, where these people you have known forever are now all of a sudden telling you about this insane experience that they're having. You wouldn't just go, oh, you know, something must be wrong with them. Like she accepts something must be happening because these are good people I've known forever. They wouldn't just be saying this. Yeah. I loved the line she had that was like, it's not a matter of believing, you know, because he asked her if he, if she believes all these reports and she says, it's not a matter of believing. I've known these people all my life, you know? So it's, I, I really liked her character's ability to, to again, accept that type of ambiguity to say, I don't have an explanation and I don't have to have one right now. All I know is that people that I trust are telling me that weird stuff is going on and I'm, you know, kind of trying to look out for it, being on high alert and, and applying that information to other situations, you know, because it's people's interactions seem to be a little bit different with it. You know, the, the younger couple um, getting the radiation treatment to their eyes or whatever happens there, you know, but it's, but they're not, there's, there's no obtuse character who's running around saying it's gotta be swamp gas or, you know, something like that. It's just, yeah. it's just humans being human, you know? Yeah. Which I thought and was it, effective. Yeah, me too. It's so nice that we didn't have to deal with that aspect of the story where you usually you have to eliminate things like it. Maybe there's something in the water or maybe it's something, Oh, there's a, there's a factory right over there. Maybe there's emissions from the factory. It's like, no, we're not going to, no, we don't yeah. need to do that. It wastes screen and, time and it's boring. Yes. And I appreciated that. And I also liked the, again, the kind of idea of not showing everything, the scene you're describing where she says, oh, he was, his head was almost at that tree branch. So just the visual of seeing how high that tree branch is, is enough for that to work without cutting to, oh, here's what she saw. And here's a tall figure standing under the tree, which may work okay, but it's, I don't know, just seeing that tree branch and visualizing that's a tall son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I did, <laughs> it was interesting that there was like that white residue all over everything when he was touching the tree, like where the moth was. And I did have an irreverent thought about like is that moth shit like is it like this is it's like oh, I thought shit were, and that's just like moth. i thought you I were going know. i thought you were going a different way with that no <laughs> <laughs> no i was just wondering it's like you know and again possibly because i have way too many birds surrounding my house and making deposits on the 
on the deck and sometimes on my foot. But uh, yeah, I was just like, is that, you know, what kind of residue is this moth leaving behind? <laughs> we were talking about all the different stories you can tell with the Mothman and I, someone should write the one where he just goes around <laughs> shitting on everything in a small town. No predictions, no prophecies. <laughs> just crap something. Just crapping all over the town and it becomes a problem. <laughs> Which, I mean, it would. It really would. <laughs> and there, eight foot tall winged mothman <laughs> just pooping all over the town all the time oh calling I mean... you up to use his creepy ass like hello john i left a surprise on the front lawn Getting somebody like should we even put this episode up in case someone steals this idea <laughs> Oh no, somebody needs to write it. Like I'm all okay. about it. Okay. It's not it. gonna be me. I don't know if you want to shotgun this one. I think but... this sounds like a Jeff Strand kind of a thing. That's okay. my opinion. Because if this book doesn't exist by this time next year, what I'm are gonna, we even yeah. doing? Oh, Chuck Tangle might be able to handle it too. The he might jump right on that. <laughs> but never once acknowledge that what's happening is silly. You write it. <laughs> As straight face <laughs> you possibly can. <laughs> it's probably a good moment too to talk about what I feel is the iconic scene of this movie. Even mentioning it to to Sam, she's like, "I don't know. The only thing I remember is chapstick." Oh like, yeah, yeah. I feel, and I typed. I, I, I when we were having that conversation, I figured. I wonder if there is. If I type chapstick into the GIF tool, if it will come up, and it did. So apparently that is indeed the moment. And I feel like people have isolated it from that thing and just made it into a, you know, oh, silly chapstick thing. But within the context of that scene, that is maybe the most unsettling scene in the movie. Yeah, because it's so immediate. It's before he's even doing it. So it's interesting because... I mean, there's, so, you know, he's gone and closed the blinds because the other thing he did with the wash and the shoe, he's like, well, maybe somebody was peeking in somehow and then he's got the blinds closed and yeah, he's, he's got, he's said it's chapstick before we even see it. And then to culminate with, he's like, okay, well, you're reading my mind. And, you know, Andrew's like, well, why, why would I have the need to do so? Yeah, he's like, I don't have to. Yeah. And he's giving the line from the book before Richard Gere even gets there. So yeah, that's, that's deeply unsettling because it yeah. is like. He's at that cruddy hotel motel out in the middle of nowhere, very alone, but someone knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. To set up the scene in case people don't know, uh, I think this is the point. So Will Patton, I forget his character name because I never remember characters. Gordon, names. Gordon, Gordon Smallwood, I think. Wow, you double named him. Well done. <laughs> I uh, finished it last night. So. Oh, see, for me, we watched it like couple weeks ago now but thankfully it's stayed pretty fresh in my head and i mean it wouldn't matter if i watched it this morning i wouldn't know the character names <laughs> uh gordon is the one who's experiencing the bulk of this he's the one who hears the voice coming from the sink here's the one he's the one who he thinks uh, john klein has showed up at his house three nights in a row and the one the mothman seems the most interested in like the one who has told him the first big death prediction like hey 99 will 99 will die he rhymes them which is very nice of him, but I forget exactly what he says. <laughs> so at one point, and correct me if I'm misremembering, I know, uh, so John's at the hotel, 
and Gordon calls him and says, he's here. Yeah. He's here with me right now, which is already a very idea that eight foot tall injured cold, which is his moth, his mothman name, which should be silly, but works. Yeah. Uh, gets on the phone and I, we won't be able to replicate the voice, but it's a, they must've worked hard at finding that balance between otherworldly slash humans slash kind of robotic. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was such a cool thing. What he said, you know, when he first answers is I can't believe I got through and, you know, you have this idea, especially later when, you know, when you realize he's been dead for eight hours, it's like, where was he calling from? You know? Yeah. You, Oh yeah, that's right too. I forgot that happens right after. I want to cite something from below, but I, and I don't know if I should and how much I should say, but I felt like you actually described the voice in the book very well. If I'm remembering it's, it's essentially the, it's the, it's the idea of it's somebody trying really hard to mimic human speech well, and it's interesting too, because I don't know how much you remember about the book, how long it's been since you've read it, but I thought that was one of the most inexplicable elements of it was that people would swear that John had called them, you know, like 10 minutes before and the call would have come from his number and he would have said things that only he would have known and it sounded exactly like him So, you know, normally when you have like a a book in which you have somebody imitate another, you know, it's like, oh, they sounded just like him. I was totally tricked. Like, no, I do a lot of accents and impressions, but no one's going to be like, wow, I really thought that was Tori Amos singing that song. Like, no, you can, you know, you can generally tell when there's, when there's a distance there, when somebody's making that effort. So this, and, and people seeing him too, that was the other thing is like, people would say like, you have you showed up at my house. I've seen you several times before. Um, And that is extremely inexplicable. Yeah. And effective because the, the idea of it's close, but there's just something not quite right about the imitation is a very shuddery thought. Yeah. (laughs) That is captured very well. In Laurel's new book, Below, opening March 29th, which hopefully you don't need me to tell you because you already ordered it when I gave you those detailed instructions. (laughs) But here's your reminder. (laughs) Here's your reminder. Uh, And then I had another thought about the chapstick scene and I lost it. Laurel, say words while I come Um, back to it. Yeah. Well, uh, the only thing I for some reason can think of right now is that the, the the Avalon Motel or something my husband was watching it with me and he mentioned that Avalon was the place where they took the Kings after they died, like King Arthur and all of that. Now sort of when you watch something like this, especially after you've seen hell, you're like synchronicity. What is meant by this? <laughs> you know? Oh, I remembered it wasn't connected to the scene at all. Uh, it was connecting back to something we were saying earlier about over explaining. They tread that line a little he doesn't necessarily find a Mothman expert so much as someone who knows a little bit more, but they also, they don't say, oh, the Mothman is here to do this. And I feel like they find a good way around it where he says, well, 
why, like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Why won't they just explain themselves? And he says, well, have you ever tried to explain your or because he's like the Mothman are more advanced than us and are essentially yeah. like gods. And he's like, well, why don't they just explain themselves to us? It's like, well, have you ever tried to explain yourself to a cockroach? Yeah. And it's a good way around acknowledging like we aren't going to give you those answers and in a way that's like, yeah, okay, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, because it also gives the impression from an overarching, and I also realize that John Keel's book is not, it is meant to be, and, and I think it's probably most likely mostly nonfiction, um, you know, and this is a somewhat fictionalized account, but it's, it gives you the impression very effectively that this isn't something that the storyteller knows. Yeah. You know, again, I mean, everyone involved in this from the writer to the producer and the director and all the actors, everything we all exist on this plane and we don't on the other. So no one's going to know the answers to these questions. And yeah, I think you're right. They, I mean, it is an effective use because he is this scholar, you know, but I think it's interesting because it's not, it's not that this guy's like, I thought that it did a great job of showing obsession and of showing the warning of getting caught up in these things, which really, um, you know, I, I think, you know, spoilers for anyone who hasn't read John Keel's book, but a lot of what he concludes at the end is that regardless of whatever else is going on, that the people who are the most, or the entities or whatever, who are the most damaging are the ones who go around like tracking this stuff and warning people not to talk about it and, and all that kind of thing um, and, and stirring these things up. And I thought that was really, really effective. Um, you know, that the, what's going to ruin your life is, is, is getting too involved in this, you know, even though, um, and this is another thing that, that I really, Carmen Maria Mikado really explored it very well in her uh, collection, her body and other parties, but the sense of like this punishment or, you know, cause and effect in a lot of stories is like, oh, well, you opened the door behind which this crazy sound was occurring. And, you know, there's every obvious reason why a human would open that door, but you're being punished for it because, you know, you, you open the box, you open, you solve the lament configuration. It's like, what? You put it right there yeah. with like a beaming spotlight and said, what hey, else was I supposed to here? do? Yeah. And, and so these, I mean, these critters have through no fault of his own taken notice of him and started screwing with him. And, you know, he could easily follow that down to, to rock bottom. And, you know, again, with, with what purpose you, you, you guys went after him. Yeah. And the thing about the movie, which as we always warn, we are pretty much going to spoil. So if you want to see the Mothman prophecies, hopefully you already did is John Klein starts to get kind of obsessed with the idea because the Mothman is always predicting disasters and kind of telling vague little clues about a death count that's going to happen at some upcoming disaster. But at no point do they prevent any of it from happening. Yeah. Like at the end, he's there where one of it goes down, but he doesn't help the situation. So the idea of, yeah, exactly. You could lose yourself to going down this path of what does this clue mean? And what's next? I kind of like that. They took the approach of, there you cannot intervene this is a thing that is going to happen this is not final destination yeah I and so then you ask the question well then why is he saying this and we don't know yeah why would he start telling people that these things are about to go down 
for fun, I guess. I mean, yeah. really, that's, that's kind of the ultimate, you know, impression that you get of it. It's like, what, why are they bothering if they're, you know, because the, it is, it is a great comparison. He says, would you explain yourself to a cockroach? But it's like, well, no, I wouldn't, but I've also never like set about trying to manipulate the lives of cockroaches and like, you know, yeah. giving them small bits of information where I thought they could, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like, and I did, I love, man, that's one of the creepiest lines where he says, you noticed them and they noticed you noticing them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the scholar thing is handled very well because he's not so much an expert. He just has experience. So he can speak to you like, look, here's kind of what I went through. I can't say why or what, just maybe don't like, it's yeah. not worth it. <laughs> well, just and he gives, maybe walk away. He gives very specific reasons. The second time Klein comes around you know, like you can see him, I just think it's so well done because in the first interaction, you can see him struggling with wanting to say more, but it's like an addict, you know, it's somebody who's kicked like a heroin habit and someone who's just started on heroin comes to see them to talk about heroin. And you're like, well, I feel I need to at least issue you some warning, but as a former heroin addict, I probably shouldn't be on this subject very much, yeah. you know? So he's struggling and he just says, you know, something really bad's going to happen there. I can't tell you what. Uh, just don't go back. That's my recommendation. And then when he comes back again, looking for more answers, once again, I feel like this is one of these tropes where it's like, you know, you you go see this person and they're like, listen, this is obviously already an incredibly intriguing situation. Um, I'm going to tell you very little, except that it's going to be more intriguing. And I'm also going to tell you <laughs> for no reason at all, I won't explain myself. Don't go back. And you're obviously going to go back. So him, yeah, him giving very real life examples of like, oh, I did have a note here. The women, the wives in this movie are weaving dudes at the drop of a hat. Like. Yeah, that's true. Gordon's wife bails. In the space of like, I did want to know, like, how long was John in Chicago? Because in that space of time, Gordon loses his job. Denise has left him. I got the impression he was gone for one night. I didn't know. But. You know, yeah, it was. that's the impression I got too, to be honest. But I think we're we're, I think we have to assume he's there for at least a little while because his his job just keeps calling him to ask, "Where the fuck are you? Like, you have <laughs> you? I can't cover for you anymore. You need to come back." And I assume by the end of the movie, that's done. No more oh, job yeah. at the Washington Post. Well, not after his completely insane approach to the governor, which I thought was also funny. It's like if you wanted to be taken seriously. Maybe don't rush at him as soon as he gets off, like basically almost, you know, like clearly sounding frantic and out of control. Without explaining told me anything. the place you're going is about to blow up. Don't. And he gets really, um, I don't know, he gets very, well, honestly, from the beginning, he's a close talker. Like, it's weird when he runs into Gordon, like the first time he runs into him in the town. He's coming yeah. out with like paint or something and he like steps up to talk to him. And I'm like, I don't let like my husband talk to me that close. Like there's no, there's no way. Like if some stranger comes and like tries to get that close to me, I'm going to continue stepping back. You're right. He is a very, like, I have no doubt that Richard Gere probably smells pretty good, but he is definitely <laughs> up in people's spaces in a way that would make everyone very uncomfortable, especially because at that point you're still the dude who we think is a weirdo going up to houses every night. <laughs> at 2 a.m. So getting in real close to be like, hey. <laughs> I want to whisper something to you. I see you got paint. 
I like paint too. Want <laughs> him throwing Laura Lenny around uh, in her house when he's trying to convince her, you know, not to go to the chemical plant that day. Like, I think that I think her character's done so well too because. Again, she's not like the obtuse, I don't believe anything. What she says is, I can't live my life like that. She can, she's, since she's not as emotionally involved, she can look at it and say, I get it. I get why this is, you know, uh, something you feel like is important. But since we don't have clear information, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going to live my life in fear, which I think, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's kind of the takeaway to it is like, if these things exist and these interactions happen, you can choose either to drive yourself crazy trying to do something with them or say, eh, you know, I want to have a job tomorrow. She's not the Scully of the movie, which is nice. <laughs> she doesn't have to spend the whole movie telling John like, well, actually there's a reason that we can explain all of it. Maybe it's just this, or maybe it's just this. And it works because by the time he shows up, she already says, oh, this has been happening for a while. So maybe that stuff did happen and we just get to blow right past it, which great. There's also a good little moment with her. I forget the event that triggers it off where she just sits in and she's like, I'm so fucking sick of this. Oh yeah. I'm so so done with this. Yeah. It's when, it's when Gordon dies. Um, It's like, you know, she's, she's asking him why he came out there, how he found the body. And he says, well, he called me. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like called and she just says, I can't stand this. And I love that because, again, she's not like mad at him. She's not blaming him, which, again, would be an obnoxious trope. Um, She's just like, I get that. I can say I can totally see looking at that and being like, well, this has surpassed my ability to continue to stand this. I'm I'm out. I'm going to go do something more productive right now. Um, You know. And (sighs) gall darn it, Denise. I mean, if you hadn't left him. Because of one day. Or whatever, maybe he'd still be alive. But no, I mean, it's not really her fault. But it, nah. it just did seem weird. It's like, how long have you been married? You know that he just had this weird, like, neurological situation, and you're just going to bounce. Are you saying that she's the true villain of the movie, not the no. Mothman? No, honestly, in this case, I think it's the writer who's the true villain <laughs> on on this one element because I feel like there's just not enough reason for that. I feel like that's, yeah. that's like one of the few things that's not very well thought out. It does kind of play out like, look, we need a reason why he would, because he dies from exposure. He is out in the cold waiting for Mothman. And it just feels like they needed to get her out of there because in the movie, she would go out and pull him back inside. So yeah. they just figured we need a reason for her to leave. Yeah, as as wives do. Yeah, I mean, you know. That's... Always pulling us in so we don't get exposed. <laughs> if you guys would just wear coats. <laughs> <laughs> look. The Mothman might is going to be here soon. If I go back in and get my coat, I might miss it. <laughs> she could have just brought him one. Like I'd have like, you know, if I couldn't convince David to come inside, I'd have, I'd have like irritably thrown a coat at him <laughs> and then stomped back inside. <laughs> Here's a coat and some hot cocoa. I hope the Mothman's here soon so you can come inside and go to bed. <laughs> Don't make any noise. You come in, be quiet. Be very quiet. Do not bring the Mothman in with you. <laughs> He's tall, which I assume means he's heavy. (laughs) Stomping around. Also, I heard he poops everywhere, so (laughs) not gonna let him. (laughs) Tell me what the white stuff is on the tree, if not poop, (laughs) Gordon. I do not need that. You're cleaning it up. You know, it does. 
like it makes it sound like a lifetime version of movie where it's like but again having been married for a while and having a kid like yes i can see me going pretty quickly from like wow this is crazy to like seriously i have to clean this up now are you kidding me like i don't have enough to do yeah i went from scared to just angry <laughs> clean up mothman yeah this is just getting stupid now <laughs> Kind of the closest uh, the Laura Linney character comes is those. Um, I do find the back half of the movie doesn't hit quite as hard as the as the first. Uh, like the first hour is so well done, so atmospheric, just so deeply unsettling that it can't quite sustain that momentum. Like the whole end bit on the bridge just doesn't work quite as well. I don't I think. Like it, I feel like it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't impact in the same way, but I also, that's interesting. I mean, you saying that I'm trying to think about it and it's like, would it really have worked to continue in that vein? Cause I feel like they had to turn a corner, you know, because you can only build that up so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I actually thought with the bridge, I thought was pretty effective because like, but maybe it's just to me, those kinds of things are deeply unsettling. Like we have these, infrastructures. We have things like bridges and buildings, you know, that we live and work in whatever every day. And we don't think about them much, but they're monolithic. They're huge. And the impact when something like that, I just thought, you know, like with her standing in the middle of the bridge, starting to figure out what was going on, you know, looking around and seeing everything and like, and, and just the, the way everything crumbles, the way that it comes apart was very, I, I felt very disturbed by, but, but those sorts of big metallic noises that just like come up, you know, and like just resonate through your whole body. I found, I find those deeply disturbing. It does make it work that at, after the big bridge disaster, which is the thing the Mothman's been talking about for a lot of the movie, uh, the text comes up that just says nobody ever figured out why, why, yeah. why the bridge collapsed, what would have caused that to happen. Which all ties back into one of the few notes I made, which is, is the Mothman an asshole? Because <laughs> it feels like he spends the whole movie taunting people about this thing coming up. And then when they say no one knows why it happened, it's like, did the Mothman do it? I, and that's, he asked that question, I think, of Leak, doesn't he? He says, are they, are they causing it? Um, and we don't know. Yeah, because he just says, why, why would they need to? But that's not really an answer. Yeah, because the bridge having no logical reason to collapse led me to think the Mothman has just spent the whole movie basically, you know, bragging about the crime that he is about to commit, (laughs) but with insider knowledge of the outcome as well, and is just running around this town being like, I'm going to do a thing, and then at the end he does a thing, and then pieces (laughs) off into the night, because it also says that he, the town never saw him ever again other people around the world have but nobody in this area ever saw him again so it's like he rolled into town to do this this dick thing he wanted to do and then (laughs) moved on i mean i don't think we can rule that out he might just be a dick yeah that's 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 entirely possible i did i think the outcome part with the you know the wake up number 37 um that was cool yeah because it's 36 died and she would have been the 37 and really just, Oh man, like one of the things that I found super creepy when she's describing that dream 
the things that she talks about don't make any sense. And it sounds just like a nutty dream that you would have, like where none of the elements fit together. And you're like, what the hell's going on? Christmas presents in the water. There's lights from below. And then when it does the scene and there's headlights coming up from below the water, that was scary as shit. Yeah. Water scares me anyway. Oh yes, absolutely. Any even medium sized body of water. Why? Yeah. Like if, if it gets up above my shins, I'm not okay with it. Yeah. The dream thing works out well, too, because when you get to connect the dots that we're watching the dream unfold, we don't have to have a character go, it's just like the dream I had. Yeah. Yeah. All they do is say number 37. You know, it's it's a movie that has faith in its audience, I think, is is, is my summary of it, where I'm sure there must have been fights where they they don't need to spoon feed you they don't need to like it's one of those like the yes the pieces are there but also the mystery is what makes it yeah unsettling yeah that they don't actually come out and say here's why the mothman's here here's why they did it it just they have the confidence that of uh, some people are going to walk away from this angry that they didn't get those answers, but that is not the story that we're telling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that probably lends into that whole, I, the whole feeling of it, like not being Hollywoodized, like it's not. And, and I mean, even to the extent of like the pseudo kind of secondary love story there, which is not, I mean, I love that they didn't lean into that completely. Like that there's yeah. like some attraction there or maybe even just like a feeling of kinship because of what they're dealing with. But it's not a matter of like, okay, well now everything's come full circle and I'm cool because, you know, um, I found a new chick and I saved her. And so we're good to go. And actually that it kind of brings me back around to like the, the scene in which, you know, Laura Lenny's talking about like us, ostensibly we think that Mary has come to point to point pleasant. And shown up at the police station and, and is asking about him. Which is, I, his, which is his wife, deceased wife's name in case we didn't yes, say that. Oh, yeah. Way. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, and it sounds, it sounds just like her. The description is very distinct, but I love that even when he shows her the picture in any other movie, it would be a, that's exactly who it is. She was like, I don't know. Now that I look at it, I don't think so. The hair was different. And to me, it's like, it actually, in a, in some ways, it's kind of like, have you have you read The Exorcist? No, I have not. Okay, I I, I think if you're a fan of the movie at all, I would recommend it um, because I feel like one of the things that gets flushed out much better in the book than in the movie is uh, the centralization of Father Karras's doubt, and it's that every little element, every little piece that you might could be able to consider proof from this demon is ju- is pulled away just enough for him to not be able to believe it, you know, because he's lost his faith and it would be really cool for him to be able to look at something and say, there's no other explanation for this. And the demon always holds it just out of reach. And that is what this feels like. You know, she asks the question that lines up with some of her last words to him. She, the description is clearly her, but, but it's like, I don't know, somehow wherever Mary ended up, she got a haircut she got to die, you know, maybe did something different with her makeup. And now I can't completely swear to this. And I thought that was super effective. Yeah. I think that's the strongest part of the back half of the movie is when the wife shows up at the police station 
And then the kind of the, the, the stretch at the end is she's going to call you. Yeah. Like, you need to be home at this time. Mary is going to call. And right before that call is supposed to happen, Laura Linney phones up to say, hey, you should come back. We're going to have dinner. We open, pre- they open presents Christmas Eve, which is still something I can't wrap my head around. Even my <laughs> own wife, my own wife's family does that. It's just like, I just can't process that. We have dinner, then we open gifts. What do you do in the morning then? It must be so boring. Um, come back. He's like, I, you know, I got this phone call coming. It's a very good scene where she is very under, you know, again, it's not the, you know, you're, you're, you're crazy. It's your wife's not going to call. She acknowledges something probably is going to call you, but whoever it is, it's not your wife. Yeah. You need, love, like, do not do this. I loved what she said about wherever Mary is, she's nowhere near Indrid Cold because she's making, she's, and you know what? When I was younger and I watched this, I was mostly annoyed at her interrupting that because I was like, what's the harm? I would answer the phone. When it rang, I would want to see what was on the other end. But what she's doing is saving him from, you know, from continuing down that path. It's like there will always be another little nugget for you to follow. There will always be another trail of breadcrumbs that they want you to follow so that you stay obsessed and that you stay living in the past. Um, I did think it was interesting. What's your take on like, so when he doesn't answer the call, which man, he played that scene so well. Cause you see the want and it really oh. does kind of come back to like the addiction sort of element of it, man. He wants that. Yeah. Gear crushes that, that scene. Yeah. No, no words, just the, yeah, the, the, the struggle as he's staring at the ringing phone and then yanks it out of the wall. And then of course the phone keeps ringing. Yeah. Classic and that horror idea, on his face always... of like, of like, I already flushed you down the toilet. Why are you coming back? Heroin? Yeah, that, oh, sorry, you were going to ask what my interpretation was of. Yes, yeah, so so after that happens, and, you know, we see the Mothman kind of in Mary's eye in the photo, and then it extinguishes kind of and pulls back out, and she sighs. Is that like a, okay, good, like the actual Mary's glad, or is there like a sense of loss there? Like, I couldn't even tell, because again, that didn't seem very pat to me, like, oh, good, you passed the test and now the ghost of Mary can rest. To me, it was still ambiguous. Yeah, I took it almost more as the Mothman going like, okay, we're done. Like, Ah. that was my take of it is, like you said, if John had picked up the phone, he would have had a conversation with someone mimicking Mary and then that's it. He's done. He's in. You get that one phone call. It probably ends too quick. And he's like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Yep. And then now it's, I gotta, I gotta get in touch with her again. Like I gotta, like, I need to figure out how to get another phone call and it just goes and goes. So to me, my take of it was he ignored the phone call. So the Mothman, whatever he was doing just went, all right, done with that. Oh, I, okay. I like that interpretation. I, I like that interpretation better. Cause I kind of, you know, there was a part of me that was like, I don't know that, that it's like this sigh and this, this, like, I don't know. I guess, I guess part of it is it's, it's closing a door anyway. Like she was already gone, but now he's closing that door on the last bit of hope that was kind of stirred up by this whole situation. And then he immediately drives into a bridge disaster. (laughs) Things still don't go great, but. (laughs) 
Well, he had to, otherwise number 37 would have never woken up. Yeah. And I did like too, that it's what you were saying. There's no love story between them. Really. You can tell that there's something there, but the movie doesn't end with them kissing on the bridge as the camera pans out. I wouldn't be terribly surprised to find out that they spend Christmas together. He goes back home. They touch base every now and then. And that's that. Yeah. That they, they, they're a support system when each other each needed a support system without it being the lesson here is that he needed to find a new potential wife. Yeah. Which I'm glad they didn't do that. It's like his happy ending. He's with another woman. It's like, Oh, it's like, no, his, <laughs> his happy ending is that he's been able to kind of grieve properly and move on. Credits. Yeah. But again, with the sense, too, because it's about their perception of it and it's about how everyone's affected, which I thought that was good, too. The way that they just did these, you know, non-speaking close-ups of people who'd been in the water. And, you know, they're they're just like total shock and sense of, and, and this was something, too, that that he, you know, that was conveyed in the book. Like, this is a very small town. So when something like this happens and you lose 36 people, absolutely everybody in town has lost someone. Oh, There's yeah. There's no you way for that not to be. You got to assume this is a town of like a thousand, maybe, like yeah. at the most. So, yeah, exactly. Losing 36 people is, that is a hit. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's, that's, you know, that casts a, a shadow on the town for all of eternity. Um, but then it, but then it, it uh, it zooms back out, you know, like you've got John Klein and, and um, Connie sitting there, you know, sort of hesitantly, slightly leaning on each other. And then, you know, but their realization, and it's conveyed so well with Richard Gere, just like looking up, you know, into the sky. It's like, yeah, they know there's no explanation for it. Um, they knew what was going to go on. We can't answer whether if he had not shown up, whether something else would have saved her. And it's the stilling of like looming. Yup. Yeah. It's a big sky and you don't know what's in it. And then we go straight to credits. There's no fade up one year later. Yeah. Coda or anything <laughs> like that. Which great. Like perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't need a Coda on that one. Nailed it in one. I'm afraid Director if they put... Who- you, do you know who directed it? Uh, his name is Mark Pellington. I was just going to say director who unfortunately didn't go on to do that much. It's too bad because he did Arlington Road, which is a movie I remember really liking. And then he did this, which is a movie I really liked. And mostly now does, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's, he does, you know, mostly music videos, a little TV and I, I, you know, maybe that's what he wants to do. That's fine. It's just, to me, it seems like this is a good, I don't know if I want to use the phrase calling card, but like proof of concept of, hey, you should yeah. let me do more of this. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like, you know, if they'd, if they made this like even 10 years later, I think we'd already have three sequels. Oh, a hundred percent. The Mossman Prophecies colon different town name. Yeah prophesize harder i don't know <laughs> it would be, mothman with a vengeance <laughs> it'd be something you know to kind of extend it and, and keep answering that question but yeah they they just kind of they kind of left it like that and and i i mean it sounds a little bit hyperbolic but it's like hyperbolic hyperbolic 
to, you know, to say, but it's kind of brave. It's kind of a brave choice, you know, because yeah, I would imagine there were people who were pissed off. And in fact, thinking back on incredibly literal Laurel, it's quite possible I was one of them. I don't remember being mad at it though. I, yeah, I remember being into it, but when I was watching it this time, I, I feel like I had in my head that it was this sort of recognized thing, but then I went online and found out like on Letterboxd, it has an average of 2.8 and what? no one's really talking about it. IMDb, it's got like a six ish, which is pretty solid for a horror movie, I guess. But I don't know. I thought it was maybe more revered than it seems to be. I think it, it des- deserves it, to be. It absolutely deserves to be. I feel like this is one that maybe people are talking about it just in the areas I'm not in, but it had it, its 20th anniversary was this year. It passed in January. I didn't see a single person talking about it. Well, you know, and, and it's not available. It was never released on, on uh, physical media, I guess, other than the VHS. I think and, it and had then- a DVD, but only Australia has had the sense to give it the, the bestest quality. Oh, so it is a DVD, but it's not a Blu-ray. Yeah. I see. Okay. I just oh, don't, I just don't fuck with DVDs, Laurel. <laughs> if the choice is, do you want to pay $5 for the DVD or 35 to import the Blu-ray from Australia? <laughs> I know where my loyalties lie. <laughs> I paid the $3.99 to rent it on Amazon. So. Which is another option. But <laughs> then you don't get the music video for the song Half Light that plays during the end credits that has been caught in my head for three Dude, weeks. Such a good song. It you know, is. Else I noticed, I felt like the, the kind of score was incongruous initially. I was like, this is a little, I don't know what kind of tone this is setting. And then as it went through the movie, it got very, very effective and really seemed to fit with it. Um, I did. I like the, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the whole thing is heavy. It's It's a very heavy movie. Like Um, some of the complaints I saw in Letterboxd are basically people saying it's a slow moving drama, which I don't disagree that it's largely a drama. Like there's not a lot of jump scares. There's a couple, but it's, I disagree with the slow moving part. As yeah, because they but, hook you immediately on. Yeah. I mean, on on almost everything. Um, yeah, no, I I don't I don't think I agree that it's slow moving. I guess it's like longer, but I mean, it depends and, on what you're looking for. In I guess out of your horror movie, if you do go into it expecting Mothman creature feature, it's not going to deliver that. But if you I, are looking for, I don't, I don't, I do not want to say adult horror. That's dismissive, and I don't. That's not the term I want. Just I'm maybe trouble more thinking cerebral. Of the term I want. More, yeah, maybe or more. And again, that maybe that sounds a little bit dismissive too. Like it just, I think it just relies more on the psychological. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily psychological horror, but I think it relies more on that and. And I get like, I thought one of the other really effective things, which is probably one of the jump scares is the mirror when he sees himself smashing his head in the mirror. And I remembered that scene. And I remember like later thinking like, ah, oh, it's kind of cheap. I feel like they always do that in every horror movie. But then rewatching it, I was like, oh no, that is illustration of intrusive thought. Really? You know, it's like, oh, you know, and, and again, that's, that's part of what, how the, my book came to be is I have that 
little touch of OCD that has like just those intrusive thoughts. When I get more stressed, I just picture the worst possible thing happening, you know, like horribly. And, and when we were driving, um, when I was a passenger and we're just driving along and we're driving over these bridges and I just like, there's a semi beside us and I just picture it just sailing off, you know, and it, and it's just because of the size of things like that. So, so to see him do that, it was more, to me, it struck me more as like the, I'm looking at a mirror, I'm staring into it. And then this intrusive thought of what's the worst thing that could happen right now? You know, what could I do to make this really painful and awful? And that's what it really struck me as, which I thought was interesting because I don't remember seeing that a lot in film. Yeah, I think that kind of, that kind of sums it up. You're not going to get a loaded with jump scare, like horror. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Beneath the surface. And it sounds like we're both going to give it a pretty big recommendation. Yeah, I, I definitely am. And I think it's going to be one that maybe I start to talk more about when I, you know, when people are talking about effective horror movies and that kind of thing. I mean, actually, you might have been, you you probably went the right way in ordering the Blu-ray because now I'm like, I wish I owned this because I'm probably going to want to go back and watch it again. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to risk them taking it away from me. One day yeah. you'll go to digital and be like, it's probably time to rent Mothman. Oh, no. And then you'll go online and be like Australian Blu-ray, and they'll go, "We sold out of those." The demand <laughs> the was too high. One guy in Canada high. bought all of them. <laughs> <laughs> he said he wasn't taking chances. <laughs> I'll be like, "Yeah, I, I can hook you up, but oof, gonna cost." You thought thirty-five seemed unreasonable. <laughs> and one again, I, I, if anything, I'm saying is too far you don't want people to know i'll cut it but something uh, i wanted to say earlier about below when we were talking about uh kind of the arc of a character going from this is a lot to you know what fuck i'm kind of just done with this is a arc that is executed very well and below as well where i feel like it starts with like oh my god what is going on so you, you know what i'm just gonna charge right at this <laughs> and get it done no i think that's yeah i don't think that's anything that's really a spoiler because okay. you know but and thank you thank you I appreciate it because that's kind of a big thing is I want to make my characters um I want their actions to always make sense and not just because that's where I want the story to go which believe me is something I've had to do rewriting on before like well, why did they do this because that's how we get to the next scene duh you know and and I wanted I just I wanted to be more in her head for it yeah the progression works very well like as the night just piles on to be like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. Yeah. No, <laughs> no more of that. Well, I'm kind of a tired person. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense based on the things that are being experienced as the day or as the, the night goes on that eventually, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to stop talking because I'm yeah. scared something's going to slip out. <laughs> just trust me when I say read the book. Links, show notes, do it. Get yourself a Mothman, a good, good dose of Mothman, because there's not, there's not a lot of ways to get really good Mothman. So thank you, Laurel, for doing the world a service. <laughs> you are so welcome. And finally, because it's not just me. I've talked to a couple of people like, oh, I'm so ha- I'm so excited that Laurel's bringing us some good Mothman, so... That's it's cool. That's been a cool response to it too, because it's there have been like a, a lot of people who picked up on it just because of the Mothman connection. So um, I, I hope it does it justice for for the 
uh, Mothman fans of the world. I think so. I think you got that hook to bring them in. And then when you, you know, once you have them, you deliver in a way that's very unique and unexpected. So. Cool. Very good. Um, something you're currently enjoying that you want, you want to throw it there? Um, I just read, um, when the reckoning comes by Latanya McQueen, uh, which I highly recommend and is really good. Um, and I am reading the fall, which is the follow-up to Alan Baxter's the gulp. Um, Oh yeah. I have the gulp on the shelf. I haven't tackled that one yet. It's good. I actually just read it recently ahead of, of this one coming out and it is really, really good. Um, Baxter is very, I really like his writing style and he's, and he really doesn't do anything cliche, you know? So I, I think I've started the fall and it so far is, is lining up to be just as good. So the, those are, those are ones that I would recommend. Oh, and for something to watch, this is random, but we just started the, like the mini series or whatever on Netflix. That's about um, like Tyler Jones, like the kind of Hollywood psychic guy. He's like super young and he's like, apparently this like world renowned, incredibly effective psychic. And it was so interesting. Like the first episode was so interesting and also left me as an emotional wreck. So, you know, I'm going to recommend that. I, I appreciate it. It does not sound like something I'll be jumping into <laughs> considering one of my recommendations. is like, I'm getting back into Mario Kart, which is really nice. Awesome. They oh, released some new Kart. Mario Kart tracks. So we were playing Mario Kart. When I came to record this, my wife and oldest were playing Mario Kart when I came upstairs. So, so you were kind of sad to leave. You were like, wait, yeah. Mario Kart. Um, it won't it won't be a hard sell to get it back. <laughs> you know what I am reading, which at this point is just gonna seem like oh he's sucking up to the guests, is the dead inside. Oh yay. So we should Thank give you. a shout out to that because that is also yes. a pretty recent release that uh I assume we can name both names that you co-edited with Sandra Rutten. Yeah. Although I have been told that it's it's Rutan. Um oh Rutan, okay. Yeah. Although I'm also Sorry, still Sandra. probably butchering that. Yeah, but I, I was saying, I kept going on shows and, and saying Rutten, and eventually she messaged me and she said, we need to have a conversation about how to pronounce my name. I was like, I'm so sorry. But yes, yeah, that um, that came out. That is a, an anthology of identity horror um, and just super, super proud of it. So yes, I, I would love for people to put eyes on that. I think, I think it's something that I hope everyone will find something that resonates with them. Um, and I've thankfully been seeing a lot of reviews where people said that, that everything did. Um, so, so yeah, thank you for reading it. I appreciate it. Yeah. I've read the only reason I don't read it more is, is it has a, a an unsettling cover that when I read around yeah. my kids, I kind of put face <laughs> down so they don't yes. come up and go, what's that woman doing with her face? And I'll be like, I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> well, that's some jello. She just stuck it on the jello. Yeah. It's a Halloween mask. And <laughs> she ate a lot of candy and it got a little stuck to her face. <laughs> Stop asking questions and go play Mario Kart. So that's that's usually a, I'll knock out a couple stories before bed kind of book, which is it's perfect for. So absolutely. Yeah. You know what? Go to the show notes. Guess what? Now there's a link to that too. Yes, like magic. So go grab that. There's a lot, a lot of really good anthologies. It's like right now I ended up ordering like four. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, I I'm really excited for the book of queer saints. I think that's going to be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't even know about that one yet. Yeah, I did that, that one. That I did the lineup. It's ridiculous. 
a woman built by man slash her. Yep. Yep. Like grabbed all those. So you know what? There's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff worthy of eyes right now. And I would just like to shout out Janine Pipe because she is so sweet. We did not, I was not paying attention to release dates when we like moved ours for the dead inside. And, and I, I have a story in slash her. And so I was on this thread and I realized I was like, Oh my God, like we somehow managed to get the same day. And I messaged her. I was like, I'm so sorry. Do you want me to try to move it? What would you like to do? And she was like, why don't we just come out on the same day and shout out each other? I'm like, yes. Okay. Thank you. You know, she was, she was just very much like the more the merrier. Um, and I appreciate that because yeah, there are times that I am a terribly unorganized person. <laughs> it seemed to compliment them well though, because I saw a lot of people just saying like, look, there are two kick-ass anthologies coming out today. Both yeah. absolutely were here. So I saw like myself, I was like, all right, I'm scooping up both. And I feel like a lot of people were doing the same. Yeah. And I, I think it really, you know, was kind of, uh, I think that it ended up working out well. I just, I tend to try not, you know, to do that. Cause I don't ever want to, uh, you know, step on anyone's toes on it, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think it worked out re- well. And yeah, uh, Sandra also just, man, she puts so much work into it and she's such a, she's a very gifted editor. So that was, that was a good experience putting it together. And it's something I'm very, very proud to have out there. And when this goes live, it will still be Ladies of Horror Fiction Month for at least a few more days. So there's no better time to, yeah, grab it, grab to, it. To, to jump in. So Mothman, that's our Mothman episode. Excellent. Go watch, go watch the movie. Go buy the book. Thank you to Laurel for joining me here on a Saturday morning when we could be spending time with our families, <laughs> but instead, <laughs> let's come on. <laughs> Let's face it, at least one of us might just press stop and go, oh, I'm just going to, I mean, the record went long. I don't know. <laughs> it's me. I did that. We had a lot to say. It turned 3 p.m. Wow, we had a lot more to say than I thought. <laughs> For a no, second, I was did- like, oh, my God, what happened at the time? Oh, okay. No, you <laughs> didn't hear a movie on the TV. <laughs> It was it was a prop. We used it in the episode. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I decided to throw caution to the wind and splice in Mothman clips. And hope <laughs> I don't get sued. Thank you to Laurel for joining me here. Thank you to Kev Sound for the theme song. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, I we always try and end with an iconic line from the subject we were discussing. There's really only one thing we can do from this one, right? So if, we, if we're on the same page. I think so. Yeah. All right. I'm going to count to three and we're both going to say it and we're going to see if what we're thinking lines up. (laughs) All right. One, two, three. (laughs) Oh, you did a better job. I didn't even try to do a voice. Dang it. (laughs) A lesson for everyone too. Winter is coming to an end, but if you're waking up and you're like, oh, my lips are a little dry, reach out and grab a thing of chaps. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 